You're listening to episode 27 of the Afros and Pixie Dust podcast, Song of the South with Kelly. Hey, dis friends. Welcome to episode 27 of the Afros and Pixie Dust podcast. I am your host, June. This week, we said goodbye to Illumination after a 20-year run at Epcot, and I am very bummed that I couldn't catch it one last time. I came a little late to Illuminations. I was all about catching fireworks at Magic Kingdom for a very long time in my park career, and I still remember the first time I watched Illuminations, and I made a total fool of myself because I was completely in awe and enamored with just the opening sequence. And I may have let out a squeal or two, <laughs> but I fell in love with it from the very first time I saw it. And I have enjoyed it every time I've seen it. So I am a little disappointed that I didn't catch it before it was retired. But there's always the magic of film and YouTube for me to relive those moments. Right behind the heels is Epcot Forever, which is the new nighttime show that was aired the day after the last showing of Illuminations. And although it was streaming live on the Disney Parks channel, I chose not to watch the show um, because I don't want to watch it until I actually get to go and see it in person. Um, I just want to be able to experience the whole thing um, for the very first time um, in Living Color. So hopefully that'll be very soon. We shall see. This week's guest is Kelly. She is a fellow Bronxite. So we've had two Bronx natives on the show this month. She is also a fellow podcaster. She's a Dizblurred and a cinephile. Her podcast is called The Separate Cinema, and she discusses black movies throughout the years, starting from around the 1920s. So I thought she would be a good person to discuss Song of the South, the controversial film that is the topic of much debate throughout the Disney and film community. I watched the film and recorded this episode without doing much research prior to it so that I could have as much of an unbiased opinion as possible. I hope you all enjoyed this discussion, which is just the tip of a mind-covered iceberg. There is a brief synopsis of the film in this discussion, so if you don't want to hear vague spoilers, you may want to skip this episode until after you've been able to see the film, or you can jump to about the one hour mark where we just go off on a tangent about Disney Plus, television, and content creation in general. And without further ado, let's get into my conversation with Kelly. Hello, Kelly. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. 
I'm so excited to have you on. Um, I found you, or you found me, actually, um, on Facebook, and it was very serendipitous because we're both from the Bronx. So very serendipitous. <laughs> I'm very married. yes. <laughs> I'm very happy to have another Bronx girl on the show. <laughs> you know, we're so like few and far between up here. I don't know. I feel like it's a very large borough, but also everyone knows everyone. So it's kind of like, you know, when you see, when you meet someone that you don't know, it's kind of like a very new, fun feeling. So exactly. Right. And yes. Yeah, like small world, but not so small. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Um, and then like another Bronx native that's also a big Disney fan. You don't necessarily get that too often. So it's amazing that we found each other. It is. <laughs> so um, let's start off with you telling us a little bit about yourself. So my name is Kelly and uh, by day I am an HR professional at a global bank. And by night, I am a podcaster who watches a whole bunch of movies and talks about them on my podcast. <laughs> yes. And we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, but when did your love of Disney first start? Um, my love for Disney, especially the parks, I think started very young. Um, when I was younger, we would go to the parks pretty much every year. My godmother lives in Tampa. Um, which is not far from Orlando. So whenever we like made our annual pilgrimage down there, um, we also got to go to Disney. So it was like a special like annual treat um, for me. So I think it started like super young. I would say six months to a year was when my love for Disney started. Wow, that's amazing. And um, do you have a favorite Disney movie or show? So I kind of struggled with this a little bit. Um, whenever people ask me, because I'm always like, oh, this one is so good. This one is so good. Um, and I feel like they're unfairly seated. But uh, my favorite Disney movie um, is Fantasia. And if I can cheat, because they came out as a double DVD set, I'll say Fantasia and Fantasia 2000. Okay. I <laughs> if I can cheat a little bit. Um, they are straight up classics, I think. I think... Um, the music, putting the feeling to the music. I think they're just like super underrated as far as Disney movies go. Um, I love them. I think they're so good. I can just sometimes get into a mood and be like, oh, you know what? I want to watch Fantasia. So that's like my absolute, my absolute favorite, I think. Yeah. Um, and as far as my favorite Disney show, um, I'm going to say it's the famous Judd Jackson. Um, I'm a Zoog Disney stan and I will not apologize for it. <sighs> no judgments here. We love Jet Jackson. Well, I love Jet Jackson. Yeah, that show was on all the time in my house when I was younger. So yeah, me too. He was so cute too. I was like, okay, like this is this is my people. Yes, for sure. <laughs> he was like on the on the posters on the walls and everything. <laughs> for sure. And they had that funky little theme song by Youngstown. We're like, he's a famous Jet Jackson. Yeah. Oh, crazy. I love it. <laughs> I know when you said it, that's the first thing that went to my head. Uh, the the theme song. I was like, oh yeah, <laughs> I stand for it all the time. <laughs> so, do you have a particular character that you identify with? Um. So again, I'm stuck between two. Um. But I would say that I am 97% Edna mode. Um. I'm short. I'm innovative. Lots of quick wits. Um. 
my hair is like a perfect bob. Just kidding. It's not that perfect, but it's a cute bob. Um, so I would say Edna Mode. And if I'm feeling like in a lovely mood, I would say Winnie the Pooh. Because sometimes I just want to wear a t-shirt and eat and sleep. Facts. <laughs> I think like Winnie, Winnie the-, the Pooh is a whole mood. Exactly. I connect with him definitely on a spiritual level most times. <laughs> and he drops them jewels. Yeah, he does. Like the Tao of Pooh and the Tao of Piglet, if you've ever read those books, are like, you know, really great. Yeah. So. so is there a particular way that you like to express your fandom? My fandom is definitely expressed in the form of props. I love my props. So like my tees, my swag, my gear, um, you know, my, my phone cases, um, and everything is sort of like tucked away. Like I don't really wear it unless I'm going to the park because it makes it that much more special to me. Um, so, you know, any like uh, t-shirts, uh, socks, pins, I love my pins. Um, my ears, I have over 25 pairs of ears um, and some of them are like custom or off of Etsy. So, you know, I get really into it. Yeah. <laughs> so you like keep it tucked away in like a special vault. And then when it's Disney planning time, you like unlock the vault and it's like time to yeah, get so into action. Yeah, so I actually have like a Disney dresser. <laughs> I have a, a dresser full of like my Disney clothes. Um, and it's like a short one, you know, like one of those cheapo things that you get at Target. Yeah. Um, but it has like, you know, my shirts on one side. Um, my ears are on display. Um I bought up a lot of the LuLaRoe leggings. Uh, my socks are all tucked away. So, you know, I like to keep it all together. Hair bows. I have a lot of hair bows. Awesome. Oh, I can't wait to see them. <laughs> I know. I'm going to have to, like, post them on Instagram for, like, my next uh, my next trip. Yes, definitely. Um, so how often do you go to the park? Um, So like I said before, when I was younger, we would go to the parks every year. And then I became a teenager and I was too cool to go anywhere. So I kind of sort of stopped. And that was my last trip as a family, I would say, uh, was when I was about 16. It was actually for my 16th birthday. And we went to Disneyland and California Adventure. Um, And then I didn't go for a while. And when I was about like 22, 23, I was like, you know what? I want to go to Disney World. And... It took a while for me to get there. Um, I didn't go back until I was about 26. And I've been going every year since, except for last year. Yes, I feel you on that. <laughs> we, just went, um, we just went to Disneyland this year for the, for the family for the first time. And uh, I fell in love. <laughs> with, oh, for, with Disneyland. Yeah, yeah. Well, Disneyland, um, as far as parks go is one of my uh, favorite parks because it has um, Toontown still. At least I hope they yeah. still have Toontown. Yeah. When I heard they had Toontown. So um, I wanted to, that's why it's my favorite. So Yeah, we, we got into Toontown. So like my kids are so young, so they didn't really like the rides. A lot of the rides, like the dark rides were a bit intense for them. Um, mm-hmm. But when we got to Toontown and they got to like playing Mickey's house and Minnie's house they just had a blast like I it was I it was everything to tear them out of that place we had oh, the yeah, most it's so cute. fun they have, like a little jail and they have like yeah it's like so cute I don't know it's always been one of my favorite places and they don't have it at uh Disney 
world anymore. So I don't know, but I love Toontown. That's like my favorite defunct park. I know that's not an official question, but. <laughs> yeah, so Disneyland is definitely something I'm going to have to do a few more times um, because I, I I loved it so much. Um, but traveling with children, you don't necessarily get to enjoy the park as much as you'd like to. So I'm definitely going to have to go back <laughs> without them. <laughs> And I'm I'm not ashamed of that. <laughs> That's fair. That's 110% fair. <laughs> exactly. Um, what are some of your favorite things that you like to do when you're in the parks? Um, eat is definitely number one. <laughs> I'm always on, like, the food blogs, always on Instagram, trying to figure out, like, what's new that I have to try that I haven't tried yet, what they're bringing to Food and Wine Festival. Um, so I definitely plan my days around, like, food. Um, especially the staples, you know, I always have to get like a Dole Whip that's like non-negotiable, always get a Mickey pretzel, always get a turkey leg. Um, those are like the things that I have to do every time I go. And um, I actually love the rides um, because I'm afraid of roller coasters, um, especially like inverted roller coasters. So Disney is actually one of the only theme parks that I can go to where I can actually participate and not just walk around and feel like I'm wasting my time or wasting the day. So, I feel you. <laughs> yeah, so I enjoy getting on the rides and I'll get on the same rides until I'm sick. I think one time I got on Pirates of the Caribbean seven times in a row, but there was no line. <laughs> in all fairness, there was no line. Um, but I'll get on the rides because I just love them and I love singing along and I just, it's my happy place. So once I, you know, plan my days, um, like my schedule around what I'm going to eat and the rides that I'm going to get on. And then, you know, I'll fill myself like my time with, you know, those other little magic moments that don't necessarily cost anything like pin trading or resort hopping. I love resort hopping. Um, so those are like my top three, resort hopping, eating and rides. Yeah. <laughs> so you have never been like on Everest or... I've been on Expedition Everest, and funny enough, the last time I went, I've been on this ride, like, a billion times. Okay, not really, but, like, (laughs) you know, it's a ride. I know that everything is coming, and um, I went with my best friend, and she's left-handed. Don't worry, this is relevant to the story. I'm not, like, (laughs) going around, but normally I always get in first um, because I'm, like, okay, that way I'm close to the exit, and I can just get right off, and I can, like, compose myself. Um, my best friend is left-handed, so she always goes in first, and I sit on the right side so our elbows aren't bumping. And the last time I went on Expedition Everest, you know, you get up to the part where the track is about to go out, and I was on the right, and for the first time ever, I just looked away, and I could see Hollywood Studios, and I started freaking out on the top of Expedition Everest and closed my eyes on the way down. Oh. So yeah, it's like those like high rides, but I think it's just like the inverted roller coasters that I don't particularly care for. So like Expedition Everest is fine, even Hollywood Tower of Terror is fine. And I didn't get on rock and roller coaster until I was about 29. <laughs> wow. So yeah, and I didn't know where like the, the twist was, but I was like, no, I can't do it. And then I finally did and I was like, okay, that wasn't so terrible. Don't ever ask me to do that again. Oh, so <laughs> what about the, um like the virtual rides, like Flight of Passage and Soarin'. Are you okay on those? Yeah, I'm totally okay on Soarin'. Love Soarin'. Um, Flights of Passage have not been on that yet. Uh, mostly because I feel like Avatar is kind of whack. I'll, <laughs> die on that, I'll die on that hill. I've been trying to watch Avatar for so long, and every single time I watch it, 
I'm just completely turned off by it. So. Wow. Well, no judgments. Yeah. No judgments. <laughs> um, but Flight of Passage is dope. Like, that's not a, even a movie career. aside. Like, I have to go. Like, Navi River, meh. I would never, like, force someone to get on that. But Flight of Passage is really dope. It's worth a ride, for sure. Okay. Well, I'm convinced because you <laughs> actually know what you're talking about. So. Yeah. You don't, you don't have to... I mean, it would be... It's good to know the movie, but it's just... It would just enhance the experience. Um, okay. But just the ride itself, I think, is really great. And if you like Soren, you definitely like Flight of Passage. Okay. All right. I'll definitely check it out. Yes, and I want to hear your review afterwards. Oh, for sure. <laughs> for sure. So, um, do you have a particular park that is your favorite? Um, I'm going to say Epcot. I love Epcot. Um, getting on Spaceship Earth is, like, one of my favorite things to do. Um, obviously, eating around the world <laughs> and drinking around the world is, like, my favorite Um so yeah, I loved, and it's always just like different. Like I've never had the same experience at Epcot twice, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I feel yeah. like I haven't even scratched the surface of Epcot. Like I've gone, I haven't gone into every pavilion. I, um, I can say that I haven't. Um, and so I like to try to just really immerse myself in at least one country every time I go. Mm-hmm. And I always have a great time. So Epcot, it never ceases to amaze. And it's going to be so new in the next few years that you're going to have yeah. to like start all over again. So I'm excited for all the changes. Well, I actually just recently found out and by recently, I mean like a couple of years ago um, that there's actually space for like 11 more pavilions on Epcot property. Mm-hmm. So yeah. they can, so they can build them up and I'm like, Oh my God, what countries are we going to do? What are we going to do? Like, Throw Wakanda in there, maybe? Nope. All right. Moving right along. But <laughs> it'd be nice. Oh, yeah. I mean, I I would, I'd be done if they did build Wakanda. Like, I'm on, I'm on that petition. But <laughs> so <laughs> until they do. Anyone is on, anyone on the Disney Imaginary team is listening to this right now. They need to cut us a check when they make the Wakanda pavilion. Because we, we thought of that. We came with that. <laughs> They need to include us in the planning committee. That's what they yeah. need to do because exactly. I got ideas. And I know <laughs> a lot of people that also have ideas. They're like, yeah, whatever. Like you didn't to... even. <laughs> no, no. Like, you need to talk to me because I know how to make this a thing. Yeah. No, we have ideas. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I think, I think it's worth um, thinking about. <laughs> for sure. Oh, for sure. So, you like to resort hop. Is there a particular resort that's your favorite? Um, I love Polynesian. Um, I do, I don't know if this counts as a resort hop, um, but I love in any city that I go to, but I love going to the Gaylord Hotel, um, which I don't really, I mean, you could book it on the website, but you can't really, you know, but it's like the dolphin and the swan uh, right outside the park, uh, mm-hmm. right outside of Magic Kingdom, like right near Contemporary. Um, yeah, I love resort hopping. So I love the Gaylord, love... Uh, Polynesian and uh, Art of Animation is actually one of my favorite places to stay. <laughs> so yeah, I think those are like my top three. I heard that you can use um, reward points for Swan and Dolphin, and so Ooh. I am gonna work on that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm interested. I'm very interested to think, see the findings on this. Because I think it's Marriott. Awesome. I, I want to say it's Marriott. So 
So yeah, I'm gonna figure that out. <laughs> I might have to get a credit card with rewards. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So you have a podcast called The Separate Cinema. Would you like to tell us a little bit about what that is? Um, okay, so The Separate Cinema, when I thought about it, I was like, this is something that I want to do. It was supposed to be like this amazing, in-depth analysis of movies that helped shape the history of Black Hollywood. And I love movies. I go to the movies like three or more times a week. Um, and then I also have to do my research. So I'm watching movies probably one a day, um, every day for the rest of forever because I'm, I'm in this lifestyle now. So um, as it evolved, because I was like, oh, this is actually just a lot of information for people to take in and for one person to constantly talk about this, it's boring. So um, I sort of revamped my idea a little bit. And now all of the movies that help shape Black Hollywood, um, starting from uh, the very beginning, like the 1920s, <laughs> I would say, um, all the way until now, and I've broken it up into seasons so everything is more digestible and everything has a cohesive theme. Um, right now, I'm still in season one, and I'm still really establishing uh, archetypes and stereotypes of characters that we will see uh, through today in the movies. And, you know, I just sort of review them uh, and talk about them and, you know, whether you should definitely watch this or not watch them. Yeah, and I've heard a couple of your episodes um and you go there <laughs> i'm like wow i have very like, strong opinions <laughs> so i thought that you'd be the perfect one to talk about uh, a particular movie that is not very near or dear to many people in the disney community's hearts <laughs> but before we get into that movie um do you tend to have an interest in classic movies or was it more about black cinema that drew you into wanting to see these older movies? So uh, basically the idea for the podcast came about because I'm always asking people, oh, have you seen this movie? Have you seen this movie? And they're like, oh, no, I haven't. And it's usually with my like non-person of color peers mm-hmm. when I'm like, oh, you haven't seen Belly? That's crazy. This is a <laughs> classic. And I just realized that classic is defined very differently amongst different types of people because people look at me sideways when I'm like, no, I've never seen Forrest Gump. And I have no intention on watching Forrest Gump. It doesn't look like a movie that should like whatever. And people are like, no, it's so good. It's a classic. So who gets to define classic, right? So Mm -hmm. um, for my show, basically, the classic Black movies or movies that impacted, you know, African-American culture. Um, or that's what defines a classic for me. So, um, you know, my classics are a little bit more contemporary. So like I said, Belly and like, I don't know, Juice or something. I don't know. Those are like classics for me, um, but they're not necessarily classics for other people. So I want to like bring those to the forefront because they are good movies. So everyone should see them second that because I love belly and I love juice and that's right up my alley like everyone <laughs> I've like I've not seen the well have I, I have, no I saw the Wizard of Oz once just because one of my guests was a big fan but like before that I've only seen the Wiz I've yet to see a lot of like quote-unquote classic Disney movies 
Right. But I mean, my interest isn't really peaked if there's not a lot of diversity or if I can't really see myself in the films. So um, that's like a running gag here that I'm not seeing a lot of classic Disney movies. But I said that I will make it my mission um, to start watching that and give my review. <laughs> That's what you okay. gotta do. You gotta give your review, and people can, you know, obviously you should form your own opinion. Right. But I'm just telling you, as a seasoned professional, like I does this, <laughs> yeah, you should watch this. It's a great movie. The movie that we're going to talk about today is Song of the South, and this movie is very controversial, and I guess in the in the Disney space or in you know in the world in general, um, it's been so controversial that Disney has locked it in their mythical vault. They were not released a film for sale um, or publication. Um, however, that doesn't mean that you can't get your hands on this movie. It just means that Disney's not gonna profit off of distributing this movie. Um, so uh, you and I have both seen this movie and uh, I thought it would be the perfect movie uh, to talk to you about because you, have a good grasp of cinema and you appreciate classic black films so Correct. or i don't know if we should say classic but older black films <laughs> right i love them all i don't discriminate right <laughs> right no ageism exactly. over here when you're old, I love them. um and so uh for those of you who have not seen song of the south, who have no interest in seeing song of the south um, who do have an interest in singing Song of the South, but um, just have not gotten a chance to. If you don't want to know what this movie is about, um, close your ears. We're going to do a little brief, I guess, kind of a spoiler, kind of a not spoiler um, of the movie, um, just so you can get an idea of the film so that when we discuss things in the film, you can kind of know what we're talking about. Um, so uh, Song of the South is set in the South. It was... Uh, first filmed in 1946 um, and basically it was about a family the mother and father seem to have separated that's what it seems like it's not very clear yeah. <laughs> um, I'm just like what daddy has to go away Mom, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and the mother and son go to stay with the mom's mother and the boy is a little sad that his dad is gone. He tries to run away back home. So they are in Georgia. He tries to run back to Atlanta where the dad is. And Uncle Remus finds him along the way and tries to make him feel better by telling him stories. This is not a great synopsis. This is just an idea of what the story is about. Yeah. Um, no, no, and so far so good. I agree <laughs> everything that's happening. And so there are several times where the boy and Uncle Remus bump into each other. Um, and so there are a few stories that Uncle Remus ends up telling the boy. Um, and Uncle Remus is, he's in the field kind of, but he's also in the house. I, I'm not exactly sure what his role is, but he is a slave that is owned by this boy's grandmother on this plantation. Um, so one way to think of Uncle Remus, if you had to like put it into like the archetype, is that he's the happy Negro or the yes. magical Negro. Yes, um, exactly. Which is basically someone who's put there to sort of like lighten the mood. He's just happy to be here despite his awful circumstances. Right. And he's here to make everyone else happy. 
Right. And he, you know, gives everyone a lesson basically at the end of yeah. his, his journey. It's right. Like, oh, yeah. He's, yeah. <laughs> so when the boy's trying to run away, um, Uncle Remus takes care of him. The, when the parents, when the mother finds out that he tried to run away, Uncle Remus takes up for him. He kind of gets in trouble for him. Um, and in this story, there's also a young slave that is the black best friend of this little boy. So I don't know about that. Um, and then <laughs> the boy, I guess, accepts his situation partly. And he has a coming up, which he gets ready for. His mother picks out an outfit that will embarrass him. And he gets <laughs> teased for his clothes by some neighborhood children who seem to be not in as good of a financial situation as this boy and his family is. There are three children in this family, two boys and one little girl. The two boys are somewhat bullies. And I guess they, are, they do also resemble the characters in Uncle Remus's story. Um, and the little girl ends up befriending this boy. They, as they try to get ready for this party, the two boys continue to bully the main character, the main boy character, and the girl as well. And they end up not making it to their party and being very upset because their clothes got ruined. And uh, and then the boy, as he learns stories from Uncle Remus, tries to make the girl feel better about having her outfit ruined. And... Stop me if I'm rambling. Um, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> and and um, this seems like the boy is starting to get more acclimated to living this life. And then he finds out that Uncle Remus got in trouble. And so they pretty much decided, well, Uncle Remus decided he was going to leave. We all know that's not how things work. But <laughs> he decides he's going to leave. And the boy tries to run and ask and beg Uncle Remus not to go and he gets hit by a bull and now everyone has to come and sit vigil at the boy's bedside including the father and somehow that makes everything better did I get that did I get it all yes okay that's pretty much the premise of the movie yeah. so <laughs> so now that you know what Song of the South is about, now that the mask has been unveiled, there are a few characters in the story that definitely need to be dissected. So this movie was set in the South during slavery on a plantation. And the one thing I thought, which uh, my twisted mind went to, was there probably wasn't this much diversity in a movie until maybe... Like, Brandy Cinderella. So from 1946 until then, I don't think there were that many Black people in one movie that Disney had created. So I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, they were all slaves, obviously. I mean, I think as Disney nerds and Disney nerds of color, Black women, I think sometimes, you know, we kind of have to, you know, with, with the lack of diversity, I mean, I'm not saying that, like, we're happy about it, but we've kind of accepted it, you know? Like, it doesn't particularly, like, it's not a complete turnoff. You know what I mean? In film, you mean? Yeah, in, like, Disney movies in particular, you know, like, their lack of diverse cast, you know? We're kind of like, 
I mean, I know for me, it's not a deal breaker. Like, I'm still going to go see a Disney movie despite the cast. If I'm like, oh, this, you know, this sounds good or this looks good or whatever. So, I mean, I guess I've kind of accepted the lack of diversity. Not saying that that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they definitely have a ways to go. But it's not like a complete deal breaker for me. Yeah. So I, I will see a movie. Um, will I, like, encourage other people to see it that haven't I probably won't um and I I'm usually very vocal if there isn't that much diversity um in art that I see nowadays because there's no excuse now there's absolutely no excuse now no Um, but I am happy for the future um work that is announced that's to come from mm-hmm. Disney, so um, we'll see where this train goes. I'm open to seeing what they what they do with this. So the major characters in this film were Uncle Remus, who is w- one of the main characters, um, and as we described him, he's that jovial, happy Negro. Um, he's singing. He's always ready to give a hand in this film. Um, he is played by James Basket. Um, I don't know much about this individual, but um, I know he was in quite... Okay, so now there you go. So that's what you're here for. Can you talk to us about who he is and what his legacy was? So actually, there's actually not a lot known about James Basket, but so I know a little bit, not a lot, but I guess I would say more than most. Um, So James Basket was actually a very prominent African-American actor um, in the uh, 30s and 40s. And um, actually, for this role, he won an honorary Oscar. And the reason why it was an honorary Oscar is because actors of color were not really uh, nominated for Academy Awards. Um, But also, very similarly, uh, Hattie McDaniel won her Oscar for Best Supporting Actress and wasn't even allowed in the building because of segregation. Right. So um, James Basket was, like, at home, I think, and... He found out that he like won an Oscar. Like it was like sent to him or something. Like his award was sent to him, or he got a letter or something. But he was definitely not involved in the acquisition of his Oscar. He did not get to have a moment uh, for his Oscar. Mm-hmm. And um, speaking of Hattie McDaniel, she's also in this movie. She is yeah. the mammy of yeah. the main character. And okay, I keep saying the boy. So the main character, the young boy um, was called John or Johnny in this film, <laughs> just so we can, <laughs> you know, stop saying boy. But um, Hattie McDaniel was the mammy for Johnny. She was unabashedly uh, proud of being the mammy character in movies. Yes. Yes. Um, and I think she was famously quoted as saying that she would rather um, make uh, $700 playing a maid than earning seven dollars a week to actually be one. <laughs> right, so she, right. Like she very famously said that. Yes, and she played the role <laughs> yeah. in this film. And you know, remembering about this time, there were not many options for mm-hmm. black actors. So, right, it's kind of understandable. Like in the, in this time, it may be very questionable and very side eyeable. But I yeah. feel like no. Gotta... She was like the Halle Berry of her time. She was the right. most sought-after black actress of her time. Yes, and I mean, I she did a good job. 
it's hard to watch now, but she did a good job. Yeah, like it's not without merit. Like, you know, she was good at what she did. She played to her strengths. Like, I wish I figured out mine earlier so I could also be a movie star, but that did not happen. So Exactly. (laughs) So besides uh, those two, there is one other quote-unquote main Black character in this film, and that is Johnny's Black best friend, a little boy named Toby. Um, and I don't know if you know anything about Glenn Leedy, but he plays that character. Um, I do not. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think there is much to say about him. Um, I think he was, I think pretty much was like the only film he did as far as I know. Or probably Uh, the only role that he was credited to because a lot of the minor parts especially for lesser known black actors of the time were uncredited yes so he played the the black best friend and i think he did a good job too i mean the acting the acting was what it was um but i digress so no you're not moved to tears by these performances you're kind of just like oh all right yes very literal um all parties involved but (laughs) they got the story across Um, and so I did want to mention the stories that Uncle Remus told in this film so he introduced us to these cartoon characters um, and I want to take a step back and talk about the transition so I think to polish a turd for lack of a better word um, the the shining points of this film were the animation. Um, I think the the marriage of live actors and animators in 1940s was seamless. I think they really did a good job of putting the film together and tying in the the live portions with the animated portions. So oh, I completely agree. I think that if they were to if I didn't know that this movie was from like the 40s and I was watching it today, it would not really seem too far out of place. It's it's aged so well on the version that I saw. Yes. So in that <laughs> sense, so in the actual technology animation portion of the film, I would agree that it was well done. <laughs> So now, <laughs> about the characters. So the three characters that Uncle Remus um, introduces to us are Br'er Rabbit, Br'er Bear, and Br'er Fox. And there is a, like a, another character, Br'er Frog, that you know floats around here and there or hops around here and there. Um, so Br'er Rabbit is the kind of the main character in these stories. It's almost like a... Wiley Coyote kind of Tom and Jerry you know they're that everyone's trying to catch he's too clever um, to get caught in their traps for the most part Um, but the cleverness of this rabbit is how Uncle Remus kind of teaches Johnny how to cope with life for the most part so you, you, you find the bright side of things or you find a way to get out of a sticky situation by using your your brain. It's pretty much what Uncle Remus was trying to teach this little boy. Um, and so Br'er Rabbit um, is very clever and shifty 
and he finds a way to trick Br'er Bear and Br'er Fox. Br'er Fox is trying to eat Br'er Rabbit in every story, pretty much. Br'er Bear is kind of getting caught in the crosshairs to the point where he can't take it anymore and kind of takes Br'er Fox's side <laughs> for the most part. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> he's tired of Br'er Rabbit kind of like getting him stuck in these situations, trying to get away from Br'er Fox. Um, but what stuck out to me about these characters were their their language, their voices. So Br'er Rabbit talks a lot of jive. He's like, <laughs> I mean, like, no, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> and it's hard for me to explain it without seeing it, but he's the, the speech and the language. It, it, I had to find out who voiced this character. And so he, Br'er Rabbit and Br'er Bear, voiced by Black actors as well. So there are a lot of Black people in this film, <laughs> behind the scenes, I guess. So, um, both- and that's definitely a Disney tradition that they've carried through, even to like contempt, like the contemporary films, like the Disney Renaissance. When I found out that, you know, Baby Simba's singing voice was, you know, the brother from Smart Guy. What? Yeah, I was shook. Yeah, <laughs> to my core. Uh, but he was played like his his talking voice was Jonathan Taylor Thomas, like the kid from Home Improvement. Yeah. So you know, it's definitely something that they brought with them for, you know, 50 years. And I actually just heard uh, Jason Weaver um, about that. And it's very, it's a very interesting story. Apparently, uh, Elton John had found him because he was filming for the Jackson film, the um, mm-hmm. Jackson American story. And um, he told Disney, because, you know, he was writing for The Lion King, he was like, you got to get this kid to sing. And he came in and he sang and they loved him. And they were like, okay, we got to get you in this film to sing for Simba. And they were like, oh, did we finish? Did we finalize that contract with Jonathan Taylor Thomas? And they were like, we just like signed on the dotted line yesterday. And so it was unfortunate because I would have loved Jason be the face of Simba, you know, be able to be like, I am Simba. But they kind of just, I don't know, like in the rug that he was the singing voice for the most part. From my recollection, I don't remember him getting much press or um, being well known for the voice, even though I know I know I recognize that voice because I watched that Jackson movie <laughs> over and over and over again. And I was like, I know that voice. <laughs> so that was an interesting um, piece that I don't think a lot of people knew. And he recently did an interview and talked about that. Um, about how that came to be. But I think it would have still been appropriate to let us know, like, he's the singing voice, you know? I know Jonathan is technically Simba, but we all know Simba, you know, the Simba we love, but whatever, I digress. So so both the Br'er Rabbit and Br'er Bear characters um, are voiced by Black actors, and um, they, I believe, were actors on Amos and Andy, um, on when there was like a radio series for for the most that I know. Um, but their their voices are very like jive talking, um, that kind of vernacular. And so it kind of caught me a little bit <laughs> when I heard that because 
I mean, they're they're actors, and what they were saying wasn't very um, like offensive or 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 too much, but it was just hearing that voice was a bit weird for me. I don't know. What do you think? I think it was weird for me because my expectation wasn't that it was going to be like, I just thought it was going to be like a white actor. Yes. Like I didn't expect that. So I think it was just unexpected that that was what I heard. Yeah. (laughs) So it just like sort of took me back because I was like, what? Because I mean, before I saw the movie, my reference point, which I know we're going to get to later, for Br'er Rabbit and Br'er Fox are, you know, just animatrons in the park. So, you know, I didn't even really know they had voices (laughs) until, you know, a few weeks ago when I sat down to watch the movie. And I was like, oh, interesting. Yeah, so it it was very weird to me. Um, But I don't know if it took away from the movie or or what. I I don't know if they needed to speak that way. Like, I love jive talking for the most part. Like, I have a Bronx accent. Like, it's in there. It will come out when it has to. Um, and so, and I don't like to. <laughs> no, I don't like to me today. So I totally know what you mean. And I mean, that's me. That's part of who I am. And I actually love that about people. I love when people can just be unapologetically who they are. So I'm all for every accent, every dialect, every form of speech that that you have, because that's who you are. That's what made you. That's what defined you. And I don't mark it as a sign of unintelligence or intelligence for me. That's just how, that's just um, my point of view. So all I can say is just, it just, it just surprised me. I, I had to question myself to say, am I offended or am I not offended by this type of speech because of how I view speech in general? So I, I don't know. I just have to leave it at that. <laughs> um, but Br'er Bear, so Br'er Rabbit and Br'er Fox kind of have this jive voice. Br'er Bear is very slow um, in his speech. Um, he's depicted as not very smart and kind of, you know, like the pawn in all of this. Um, And I don't know if it's even worth getting into the different stories that Uncle Remus tells, but there is one particular story that made me um, really lean towards keep it in the vault. And it was a story of them trying to trick Br'er Rabbit by creating a tar baby. Okay. And so... They create this child out of tar to, um, I guess, catch Br'er Rabbit. And so they make the model, put it on a log, and the rabbit bounces by and says hello. And obviously the fake person does not respond. So the rabbit gets upset and wants to engage fisticuffs with this tar baby. And so as he starts to hit the or whatever they, you want to call it, um, he gets the tar, and so he, therefore he gets trapped by Br'er Fox and Br'er Bear. And, I mean, I want to know what you thought about that. Um, I think that was a bit, like, shocking to see. Um, and it also made me realize, like, why people found it offensive um, or why people would find it offensive because I know that like there were parts of it that I definitely did enjoy 
Um, but that was definitely one part where I was like, oh, this could not really be out here mm-hmm. um, in today's like day and age. I think there would be like a huge uproar about it. Um, but I don't know. I still personally don't think it should be left in the vault. So, mm-hmm. so yeah. Um, so like when I was watching the film, I was like, okay, I'm cringing, cringing, not cringing as hard as I thought I was going to cringe. And then it got to that story. And I was like, like, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't rationalize my way around it. Mm-hmm. And so I just, it took me by surprise and it, it did not make me feel good to watch. And I don't think there was any kind of explanation around it that would make me feel better about it. I mean, okay, you're trying... The only explanation that they can really give you was, oh, it was just what was, you know, it was a sign of the times. That's the only explanation that they can really give. And that doesn't make it right and that doesn't excuse it. Um, But I also kind of feel like to, you know, sort of deny its existence is sort of to deny that, you know, that was how the world was. Like, I know that it's very on-brand for Disney to be like the happiest place on earth and, you know, only happy memories and blah, blah, blah. But that's not how the world was. <laughs> and right, right. they also like partook in that. And it doesn't necessarily have to mean that it's like a terrible thing. Like um, the, uh, what is it? Looney Tunes, like Warner Brothers, like whenever they play their older films that are definitely a little bit questionable, they Mm -hmm. air a disclaimer that's you know like if we deny that you know we ever did this then we're doing more harm than good to Mm -hmm. show you know how the world was and how you know it needs to be better i think um for this film i agree with you and i and there's a lot of people that feel the same way that it's kind of sweeping it under the rug sweeping this history under the rug um and for the most part this film I mean, I, it wasn't it wasn't a, an amazing story. I think the animation is the one thing that sets this movie apart and makes this movie interesting and amazing. And the main thing that I didn't like about the film was the inaccurate depiction of slavery. And so it had all these slaves seeming very happy and very jovial not just Uncle Remus and Toby, but, you know, everyone seemed like, you know, they were in good spirits. And I know that was kind of how films were. They never sh- really were accurate with this depiction. But I feel like this this trope has been around for so long and we're just you know, starting to really tell history accurately that to continue to allow this or to uplift this, is a disservice to that history of all those people that came before us and, you know, suffered for us to eventually have better lives. Um, And I know this was set in 1940s, but, you know, people like to cling on to history as if it is 100% true. So that's one thing that I'm concerned with. Well, I mean, Song of the South was also, like, released, re-released in theaters. Mm-hmm. Um, several times and the most recent time was 1986 um, I was born in 1988 for reference mm-hmm. so you know if I mean I'm not saying if it was good enough for 30 years ago but you know obviously times have changed but I mean they were still putting it out there relatively like recently right right so 
Yeah, I think, yeah. I don't know. I feel like it should, I really do feel like it should come out of the vaults. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I I feel you and I understand. And I I can't 100% be like, no. Now that I've seen, I can't 100% be like, no. Um, Because I feel like we, I feel like most people, and I may be assuming, because, you know, I am from a a bubble (laughs) that is New York. But I feel like most people know a lot better than they did before. And they know not to take this story as fact or to understand that this is fiction, like 100%. Um, Yeah. I mean, you should hope, but I don't know. There's a lot of fake articles being shared on Facebook that lead me to believe otherwise. Yeah. People know better that, like, this is not a thing. So, I don't know. It's a really hard discussion. It's a really hard debate. I think that um, there's a there needs to be a lot of opinions and voices involved in order to get a, a robust um, idea of how people feel because the way you feel about film um, in general may sway the way you feel about Song of the South and the way I feel about you know my own personal history, my own personal experiences may sway the way I feel and how I reacted to watching this movie. Um, and so I think that is one reason why Disney has been so torn about whether releasing this movie is the right decision because it may be a trigger for people. Um, I mean, Whoopi Goldberg called for it to be re-released when she was, you know, when she became a Disney legend, what was it, 2017? I feel like it was a little bit before that, but, you know, I don't know. I don't know. It is definitely a hard call. I mean... I did like tweet about um, just as far as Disney, Disney movies go, um, the deleted scene from Endgame, and I won't spoil that for anyone. But there was a scene where all of the characters are kneeling mm. to mourn another character, mm-hmm. and you know people were like, "Oh my gosh, this is so. Why would you delete it?" And I was like, "Y'all have been on the internet arguing about kneeling for three years. They had to get this up out of here. Mm. <laughs> you can have mm. that conversation in your own home." Yeah. So um, I do think that it's definitely, you know, it's optics for one, 110%, but I don't know. I kind of just feel like people need to see it. I feel like it would be good for people to form their own opinion. I definitely think a disclaimer should be placed before it. Um, I don't know if, I don't know what, what, I'm trying to think of what the major benefit would be from seeing this film. Um, I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> I think the animation was great. I think that it actually would give more illumination, I would say, to the to the ride. Um, I think it it's a story that's been told so many other times that I don't understand why. I mean, I do understand why, but I don't see why this one has to be the exception. Mm-hmm. So, what if they decided to reimagine this story, and like how they did with Dumbo, uh, and oh, then kind of take a live out. action remake? I would riot. I'm sorry. I'm sick and tired to death of these live action remakes. I don't think <laughs> that they're good. I would actually fight someone. Like I would go to like somewhere, someone's house. I'm like, you, we actually have to fist fight because <laughs> there's no reason why this needs to be a thing. Mm-hmm. But what if they just wanted to remake the film this period and update it and be maybe more accurate or more sensitive? 
do you think it's appropriate to even go I don't there? I even think it would be the same story. At yeah. that point, it wouldn't even be the same story. And people wouldn't have a reference for it. It's not like, you know, where they're doing the live action remake of Mulan and, you know, they're taking out all of the elements that were like stereotypes or disrespectful to, you know, Chinese culture. When you take all of that out, there's still a story. And people actually know the story. People don't know the story of Song of the South because they've kept it locked up for so long. Yeah, I mean, is it even worth reimagining? Is it even worth retelling? <laughs> I'm okay with leaving it and yeah. I'm, like not redoing it. Yeah, um, oh no, it definitely has to be left alone. <laughs> Let it be a classic. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, leave it, yeah, leave it where it is. Let's not rehash it. <laughs> <laughs> so film is actually has a heavy presence in the parks and it kind of makes me scratch my head because the film is locked away and no one really has seen it and yet they have a whole ride and these characters are out and about um so what do you how do you feel about having the presence of this movie in the parks um you know i don't think that it bothers me um, in a way that I don't really know how to describe this. I want to say in a way that ignorance is bliss. Like if I went a whole 20 some odd years of my life not knowing about Song of the South um, and it's like ties to Splash Mountain, then, you know, I mean, I still enjoy getting on Splash Mountain and I still, you know, I mean, I don't do it in February. That's like my one rule. Um, I will not get on Splash Mountain in February. <laughs> but um, I mean, it's there. So, I mean, you know, I'm not a big, like, fan of change. Like, I feel like you have to let the classics be the classics. Um, and I don't know if this counts as a classic because no one really knows what it is. Mm-hmm. So, um, I don't know. But I guess, like, I'm okay with it. I'm definitely, I think I'm okay with it. Like, that might be even me coming from like a place of privilege where it's like, oh, you know, like this doesn't bother me. Like, I feel like I'm being very centrist about it right now. And that's bothering me more so than anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like, yeah, I feel like it shouldn't change. Like, I can't imagine Splash Mountain not being like a staple. I'm, I mean, I'm neither here nor there when it comes to Splash Mountain. I'm not a huge fan of like wet rides and whatnot, but um, I will go on the ride and not even paying attention to what's going on. That's one thing I've noticed about myself when I've gotten on the ride. Like, I'm like, what is this? I don't even get it. So for me- Because you have no context for it. Exactly. So for me, I wouldn't, I couldn't care less. I'm like, I have no attachment to I know there's people that are like diehard Splash Mountain fans and um, they like that's their ride and they love it. Um, But I like for my personal opinion, I I don't. So if it was reimagined, I wouldn't feel any type of way. Should it be reimagined? I kind of feel like I'd be okay with it. I kind of probably lean towards the yes. I had a guest on the show um, a while back that suggested it switch to a Zootopia ride, which I thought was kind of clever. It wouldn't necessarily in a Frontierland setting though, um, but I thought that was a bit clever because there is still animals. Um, you can kind of like tie in the water transportation part of it from Zootopia 
And it kind of like turns the whole, you know, negative connotation with this film on its head because Zootopia is all about acceptance and inclusion and, you know, um, and the like. I feel like Zootopia was kind of like heavily based on like prejudice and racism. Yeah. I feel like the undertones were definitely there. Like if I was watching it as a kid and I had no context for it, but I watched Zootopia like, I mean, as recently as last week, but when I watched it, I think when it first came on Netflix, didn't see it in theaters, but I saw it when it first came on Netflix and I was like, oh, 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 okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, um, I don't know. I feel like it would kind of be like the same, you know, it's like what it, red grapes and green grapes, <laughs> you know, it's, they're very similar things. They were just slightly different. I like the story of Zootopia because they were trying to affect change in this situation. Um, but it, it definitely is 100% about, you know, prejudice and um, kind of like segregation and, and oppression. Um, but the fact that they made an effort and actually did something to fight against it is what I loved about Zootopia. Um, so that's why I feel like it might be a, a bit of a good nod to kind of change to Zootopia type ride. But it wouldn't fit in the frontier landscape. It would probably work better like in Tomorrowland. So I doubt that they would ever do that um, because, you know, Disney wants to keep the bubble tight. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, there's also like a whole bunch of rides that have like no, con- like, is there like context for, you know, it's a small world. If it's a small world was about like, you know, I mean, I don't know if you ever went as a kid, but when I went as a kid, you know, my mom always told me, like, you know, to hold my hand, um, you know, like, don't run away from her, because if I do run away from her, they'll kidnap me and put me on It's a Small World, mm-hmm. and she could only come visit me, like, once a year, because going to Disney was expensive, and, like, if that was a real movie, and that was what the ride was based off of, but I had no context for that, you know? I don't know. I don't know. It's such a slippery slope. Yeah, I feel you. I mean, there was, like, a I think a clip in Family Guy that kind of made that joke where they took Stewie <laughs> and he ended up getting stuck in there, like chained or something like that. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I don't know. It's a lot of debate. It's m- way bigger than the two of us, I feel, <laughs> to completely unpack. Exactly. But it's definitely worth a discussion um, and definitely worth something to think about. Um, I don't know how many people actually think about the film when they get on Splash Mountain they think oh it's a great drop and I can get a cute picture when I go down and I can get wet so not necessarily everyone deeply when they get on I know there's people that refuse to get on because of what um the the film that it's tied to the movie like you know. how much change I would guess like how much change are you really affecting here because you're still at Disney World where there's really not that much diversity in the rest of the catalog either so <laughs> like for you to take a stand like such a strong stance on that one thing I would be like just go home <laughs> like at that point I'd be like go home yeah. I mean I feel like everyone has their thing like that they're just like like you don't you've never seen Avatar so you're like I'm not really here for Pandora and people probably look at you like whoa what are you talking about you know so I mean I know and it's completely I mean a- Avatar actually that film is a lot about prejudice too you know it's it's interesting how so many films have these underlying tones that um we don't realize 
necessarily when we telling a bit of a dramatic story. Um, but right. that is a lot of what Avatar is about. It's just and really long and boring. It's long. <laughs> it's it's intense, but I feel like once you kind of get the story, you can appreciate it. Um, I'm interested to see what they do with the next one. Apparently, they have another one that's in the works. Um, and it's supposed to be like very water based. I was told. I'm not sure, but. Oh. Um, but I, I think it is interesting about, you know, it's an interesting topic about preserving your land, preserving your people and, you know, an outside force coming in and just wanting to take what your precious resource is and not respect the people living on that resource or what that resource means to the people living on there. So it is worth a watch. Yeah. Um, I mean, as a part of your movie a day. <laughs> like maybe I'll get around to it you know I got really sick one time and I was like oh I'll just watch Avatar and I was like oh my god I've been watching this movie for like four hours it had been 13 minutes I was like this movie <laughs> is so long it it's is just, a lot it's just long it is a lot it's it's very Star Wars-esque it's a whole new world it's a whole new language it's a whole new culture it's a it's a lot to unpack and yeah, I don't and think I won't you'll... even touch Star Wars so you know <laughs> like I'm really not here for the long haul for this. So I got through Star Wars when I was um, on maternity leave, and I tell people even now, like, yes, I've seen it, I've seen them all, and I can't 100% get into a dialogue about them <laughs> because it is a lot, and it does take more than one viewing to understand it all and to be able to unpack it all and to be able to get into all of it. So I don't judge. I don't judge. I mean, there's there's the things that I love that I will definitely be front row to watch there's other things that I'm like I'll wait for it to come out on DVD and <laughs> you know everyone has their their particulars you know so I'm trying to be more understanding of that <laughs> in terms of the just being out and about do you think it's even necessary for them to be out if people don't really know who they are they even have like a big like dance number sometimes in the middle of Frontierland where the characters are out um and dancing and singing with uh guests um do you you know do you... I promise you I probably thought that they were Chippendale 110 times before mm-hmm. I ever realized that they were yeah. the characters from Song of the South so I think it's just a matter of like you know what we're exposed to you know, right. like I've seen, you know, Chippendale out in Frontierland and, you know, whatever for, you know, a billion times, you know, so if I ever saw them pass by, I'd be like, oh, hey. Or like, oh, this is probably like a part of the country bear jamboree that I don't really know, but okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm referring to, like, you know, with the country bears, but I've seen them kind of join in. Um, and then, like, when you see these characters, like, they're not really aesthetically pleasing <laughs> so like Br'er Fox is kind of you know spooky scary you know when you come to think of it so I always wonder are people really enjoying meeting them <laughs> but I guess to each his own like we said as a former child who would run and scream from these things the answer is no <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah but I guess as an adult it, you know it kind of doesn't really matter you know because you can sort of, you know, divert your time and attention away from it. Right, that's true. If you're an adult traveling with adults, I realize I have my privilege there, too, of, like, being like, oh, you know what, we're not going to do this. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't cause, like, a meltdown. Yeah. I mean, my, okay. kids, my kids are seven and four, and they 
completely over meeting characters. Like it's the bottom of their list. <laughs> so the kids are aren't much different than the adults nowadays. They're like, where's the rides? I want to be entertained. And they don't they don't really care for meeting characters. Not even Mickey and Minnie. They're like, okay. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess because they've gone so much, they have like a few autograph books. It's it's not as I guess exciting to them anymore. But I still like meeting characters every now and then. Me too. You never know. That's, um, they surprise you. My special surprise this year for my Christmas card. So, are you excited for Disney Plus? Um, I am kind of. I think what I kind of want to see, you know, I said earlier in the episode that. I'm a Zoo Disney fan. Like, you know, they need to bring, like, those shows back. The Disney Channel original movies, DCOMs, you know, there was a couple of years ago um, where they were playing them, like, every Friday, Saturday, Sunday at 2 a.m. So, you know, I'd be up watching them and being like, oh, yes, reliving my childhood. Awesome. Xena, girl in the 21st century. Like, those are the things that I want to see. I don't necessarily want to see any of their new content. Like, mm. nothing has really piqued my interest. You know, it's a lot of, like, Avengers stuff and, like, like WandaVision. They're, like, the two least interesting people to look at in <laughs> the whole Avengers cast. Like, um, I saw one of the, uh, the you know, Sam and Bucky, whatever their series is going to be called. It's not even, I don't even think it's Sebastian Stan. I was like, who is this? <laughs> like, this isn't even Bucky Barnes, the Bucky Barnes that I know, you know? So I'm kind of just, like, mm, about it. Um but, you know, I would think I would love it more for the, I guess I have to do more research on it, but like on-demand programming where I can watch, you know, Phineas and Ferb and Gravity Falls, the things that I actually want to watch, um, as opposed to like the new content that they have oh, I, coming out. I did Phineas and Ferb will be on there, and I believe they're getting a movie, if I'm not mistaken. Um, they were at the D23 Expo, like the actual cast, and um, they were talking about it. Um, and I heard that everything is going to be there. So definitely it's going to be a lot of binge watching, a lot of loss of produ productivity across the board, across the world, um, because I know a lot of people are excited for it. Um, I'm excited for... The I am excited for WandaVision, and the reason why I'm I am sorry. no 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 <laughs> like, I'm not yeah, I'm not I'm, I'm not excited for Wanda or Vision. I'm excited mm -hmm. for WandaVision, and the only reason why I'm excited for that is because we're gonna get an adult Monica Rambeau, um, okay. and she's gonna be played by um, Tiana Parrish. So I'm excited for that because I don't know if you are into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, um, and like very superficially, like whatever I can see in movie theaters. <laughs> but yeah. like the deep down stories of it I'm kind of like oh alright yeah I haven't <laughs> done like Ages of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Agent Carter and whatnot. but um, in Captain Marvel so for me I was not here for that movie but I was here for um, Maria Rambo who was is Monica Rambo's mom so that was um, Captain Marvel's BFF in the movie and then her daughter is Monica and her daughter is actually supposed to be like a, a superhero um, in the comics. So that's why I'm excited about that. So that's the only reason I'll be watching WandaVision. Every, yeah, that's it. <laughs> I'm rooting for everybody black, so that's why I'm here for that. <laughs> so, um, so, I'm, that's, so I'm excited for that. Um, for, like, new content. 
Uh, other than that, I, I can't think of anything at the top of my head. I know um, there's been a lot of rumors about Proud Family definitely coming. Yeah, don't, don't squash it. Squash it. Some things you just have to like let them be. You know, you can't just like for what? For what? Like, why are we going to bring it back? Like, there's like, how could you improve on it already? You know, like it was already really good. The more that you add to it, the more layers that you, you know, add to it and the more like elements and whatever, it's just going to make it like crappy and weird and overbearing. Like, <laughs> just stop, stop. So I think that we're in the age of nostalgia though. And I know that the, that proud family actually really resonated with a lot of people. Um, and I think the closest thing we have to proud family now is maybe blackish. And so I, Not I don't know. I feel really? like you don't like blackish. No, I think it's so just like it, I just feel like it tries too hard. I feel like it imposes on itself. Wow. And then there's like should have that whole other episode on that because I <laughs> and there's love like it. grownish and like mixedish and it's just it's enoughish. I'm yeah. like done. But how many episodes it. have you seen? Like, have you seen a lot of it or just like um, the I used to actually watch blackish like religiously, mm-hmm. um, up until she got pregnant, and then I was kind of like, oh, this is. Like they changed the time. It was weird. Didn't fit into my schedule. Um, okay. <laughs> like my TV watching schedule. So I kind of just like sort of fell off with it. But then also yeah. I've seen like episodes, like I've caught episodes that I haven't watched before, you know, just like channel surfing. And I'm like, oh, this isn't, I can't believe I used to watch this. Really? I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, series, that's kind of the way it goes as it matures. They have to continue to keep it interesting and fresh and you know child actors everyone loves them and as child actors grow you kind of it's this it's the way of you know family matters it's the way of cosby show it's the way of all network comedies that you got to get a new kid in there because as children age you got to keep fresh young children in there so i kind of understood with her getting pregnant i thought it was a bit much but I didn't even talk about the baby anyways Everyone's wondering who's watching the baby at any time. So it doesn't really like change the story that much. Um, but I do like the way that they address growing up because I feel like, and I don't know if this has been your experience, and I, I talk about this a little bit, that sometimes growing up, especially for me as a first generation American, that there was a lot of pressure on me to get this like stable job, get a, you know, a career with a good back so that you can get a good job and be able to support yourself. There's a lot of pressure on, you know, a lot of young Black people um, to kind of take the traditional route because it's safe and you can secure a future and don't dream because you need to make sure you can get a check. And so a lot of people put their dreams that they have on hold or put them to the side and get stable jobs just so that they can, you know, live this American dream that everyone tells them is oh, the bomb. Yeah, no, I tell the kids <laughs> that I mentor just squash that real quick. If you listen to your parents and get a government job and get, uh, there's another lockdown, and you still have to go to work and not get paid for 63 days, you'll be ready to put your parents in a home. Don't do it. There's nothing like following your dream, pursuing your passion, and, you know, even working for yourself. I think right. you know, not having to answer someone else is, is amazing. And I, I don't know if that's um, always encouraged. And so I liked, I liked the premise that Blackish is taking, that their kids are not necessarily always taking a traditional route. 
especially with their eldest son um that he you know kind of took a gap year and they're like oh that's for white people it's like no it's okay to actually try to find yourself before you get yourself either into massive debt or pay these institutions tens of thousands of dollars to tell you who you should be you know so yeah no i definitely tell the kids that i mentor that too if malia obama can do it so i mean i'm all for it i'm all for like pursuing your passion finding out who you are and you might not necessarily be able to achieve that at a four-year institution so i'm here for that but i like that about blackish um grownish i feel like i i don't think it's for me but i still watch it because i have children and i'm like scared even though they're not even anywhere close to college age and things are probably drastically different but um it's interesting to see how they portray uh, college life. It's kind of like the modern day um, different world for lack oh, of a word. Which I also didn't watch. So. Really? Yeah. Girl? You have to <laughs> come over. We have to sit down. <laughs> <laughs> well, get, put that, add that to your list of separate cinema because it's definitely, you know, it worth watching. It's a list of series. It's so weird because people, when I always say, you know, like I've never seen a different world and they're like, you know, I'm so unabashed about how, you know, Sinbad is my favorite comedian. And they're like, but you really never watched it. I'm like, no, I just think he's funny from his standout. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's completely so. different. He's like a accessory. He's not really even a main character. So it is um, what it is. But um, <laughs> I think it has some good turns. Good, um, it has great acting. It has, you know, a cool premise. Same thing as time goes on, it falls off a little bit, but it's worth watching. But um, I'm also excited for Mixed Dish. I'm not going to lie. At first, I was like, what? Why? And we need another one. But once I kind of watched the previews and learned about the premise, I think it's actually really good. I think it's good TV. I think it's it's good for people to see. And um, I think that it does speak a story that maybe we don't necessarily get to see. Um, I don't know. I feel like that narrative is tired, though. Like, the the colorism. Like, oh, they don't learn mean things because I'm light-skinned. Shut up. Sorry. <laughs> I like the fact that they were like living on a commune, like outside and didn't know kind of what America's, you know, obsession with, you know, class, classism and colorism was until they like got thrust into this, you know, into the world. So um, I think it'd be interesting. And I don't know how much they harp on it, but from what I've seen, I thought it would be at least interesting to at least um, to start to watch. Um, and then, and then I'll make my judgment. So I'm gonna try to reserve my ju- my judgments because when Blackish first came out, I was like, no, I'm not watching this. What is this? I'm not. And I started watching it, and I was like, oh, this isn't so bad. I can really relate to this. And like, the stories are actually very relatable. I work in healthcare, so that's mm-hmm. one thing. So I relate to you no know, to Bo a lot. And then like oh, yeah. you know, the daughter where she was like, you mean I could kill someone and no one would be mad at me? Like, that was one episode that had me in stitches. Yes. I mean, the daughter, she's on a whole nother level. I think Marseille is just an amazing actress. Um, But even, you know, Dre's story of, you know, coming from humble beginnings and finally making it and and now trying to, like, kind of navigate yourself in this world where you're, you are, might be the only minority in your workplace or, you know, people are very insensitive to things that may be, you know, racially charged. So I, I do appreciate those stories from that, that show. I do like blackish. I'm a stand. <laughs> I know we went on a bit of a tangent, but 
We gotta go there. <laughs> yeah, no, it's fine. It's, it, I'm sure, like, if I watched it, like, all the way through, I could be like, oh, wow, this is great. But, you know, I can't, I don't know. I just don't have the time right now, so I can't appreciate it. I feel you. I mean, I feel like there's so much content out there nowadays. It is very hard to decide what you're going to consume and even to find the time to consume it, especially as content creators. Like, how, like how do you even divide your time, it's really difficult. I'm finding it utterly difficult. I spent like three or four months not in front of a single screen, except for, you know, creating content or engaging and stuff. So I get it's it's not easy to choose what you are going to expose yourself to. And you do have to be a bit discerning about it. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I'm trying to get better about it. Um, but, you know, I try to just watch things that will like uplift me. I don't watch anything that will like make me sad. I don't watch anything that's going to you know, like, be outrageous, and, like, you know, I don't um, watch, like, there's a bunch of shows that I don't watch, and people are like, oh, really, why? Like, I don't watch, like, Insecure, and people are like, really? I'm like, first of all, I find the whole thing to be awkward and weird. Um, but that's the whole show. point! <laughs> <laughs> I know, but then it's also, like, not fun for me to watch. I'm like, this is, are you a child? Like, why is this happening this way? So, um, like, I don't watch Insecure. And also, I just feel like if you want me to have access to your content, you should maybe not put it on a premium platform because I'm broke out here. Okay. So, like, I'm not going to pay for HBO just to watch your little show. Like, I don't feel like it's worth it. But, you know, really so. table today. Okay, I'm here for it. I don't want to shake the table. I feel like I'm not controversial, but then sometimes I am. And then sometimes I'm like, this is just how I really feel. But no, because people always ask me, they're like, oh, like, do you watch movies? So, like, you know, at my job, everyone knows that I podcast about, like, black movies. And they're like, oh, like, you know, like, you watch Insecure, right? And I'm like, no. <laughs> and they're like, really? I'm like, yeah, like, I don't watch Insecure. Like, we had a, for my birthday that actually just passed, we had, like, a little cake party. And, you know, we always talk about the garbage that we're watching on Netflix or whatever. And my boss was saying how, like, she just started When They See Us. And she's like, I feel like you would watch this. And I was like, no, I'm not. Thank you, though. <laughs> yeah, that's a little annoying, though, when they're, like, they just talk about one like, the one it. random Black show that they watch. I'm like, yeah, you watch that, right? Okay. And I'm like, no, that's... no, I don't watch that. But thank you. And they're like, really? Like, I just feel like that's something you would watch. And I'm like, well, no, I don't give my views to people. Just, like, no, like you have to earn my views. Mm -hmm. so you know just like anyone else and I have that go both ways like across genders across colors like in order for me to watch your stuff you have to make good stuff and if not I will treat you like Tyler Perry in that episode of um, South Park where they're like if you stop laughing at him he will go away <laughs> so I will stop watching you until you go away mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's I mean that's the interesting thing that you brought up though about like kind of the level up because a lot of people have been creating content for free for, I guess, or via like Patreon or whatnot, um, via YouTube or even like on Instagram um, or other platforms. And um, it's a it's a grind. It's a hustle. It's, sometimes it's a lot of self-sacrifice, self-investment. And so do you think that it is a goal or it is a worthwhile thing to strive to be able to make deals with larger platforms for your content to be seen on a larger scale? Um, I mean, I feel like if that's what you want, then yeah. 
but for me it's not um I mean I don't want to say it's not something that I want I mean obviously people are in it for like the like the what's when you create content it has to be good content <laughs> like if it's not something that I would enjoy then I'm not going to watch it like regardless of who you are mm-hmm. so if you're going to you know get on a higher distribution platform like for instance um I don't know if you came through like the podcast group where we were talking about like the women of color podcast group where you came through like the Spotify contest and people were like, Oh, like I want to be on Spotify and do like, do like this whole thing. And like, you know, when it got down to like the nitty gritty of it, it was like, Oh, by the way, we own your idea. Mm -hmm. Like you can't sell this anywhere else. Like, so, you know, a lot of people could be blinded by like, you know, just the name of like, Oh, you know, I want to be on the brand and, you know, do all of this you know, is it really worth it for people in the long run? I mean, I don't know. I guess it's like on an individual basis, but I don't really think that it's, you know, necessary because you could definitely stay independent and make content and not necessarily need a co-signer. If you're making good content, people will come to you. Look Mm -hmm. at Chance the Rapper. Mm -hmm. I really care for him. But, (laughs) you know, he made three mixtapes. Like, I love Acid Rap. Like, I'll listen to Acid Rap for forever. That's one of like the mixtapes that I love and it's only like one song on there that really really slaps but you know why not so I don't know because like he found a way to eat and selling his own you know his own art um and he got co-signed by several people and got acknowledged and so more people got to know him if you have and that's selling music so you do you have a way to sell the music that people can pay you directly. If you have like a television show, I mean, I don't know how do you, how do you do that without signing up with the network? Is there a way to do uh, that? I don't even know. I haven't done my research, but um, I don't think. I mean, you could probably just like crowdfund it, you know, and like you know, get a director, get a studio. Like, will it be you know a blockbuster? Probably not, but you know, it's still you know, true to your vision. I don't know. I feel like authenticity authenticity matters. Like, mm-hmm. as soon as I feel like it's a bit, like, inauthentic and, like, you're definitely in this for a check, I'm sort of just, like, turned off for it. Mm-hmm. So, because like, what... It, it definitely changes. Right, because you... Now you have more voices in the room. Some, sometimes, yeah. or sometimes you do get to con- keep creative control if your product is that in demand. Um, right. What are your thoughts of, like, books being converted to movies um I think it depends on which books (laughs) yeah um are converted into movies I love you know when series are you know converted into movies and they're good I feel like we deserve a do-over for Percy Jackson Mm -hmm. um but I mean if it's done well then I don't mind you know it's like even in the context of, because we are talking about Disney, like even in the context of, you know, the fact that Pirates of the Caribbean isn't like based on a book, it's based on a ride. The ride is like, what, 15, 20 minutes? Mm-hmm. And they've created like this whole story about it. Like, you know, on you know, on a bigger brand, it's, it's, you know, it's definitely easier, but, you know, I don't know. I just feel like on smaller, smaller brands or smaller platforms, it kind of just doesn't read the same way. That's interesting. Like I don't, I don't know. Like I'm, I do get excited when I see definitely people of color who have been grinding, who have been trying to create stories and create content get seen. 
by larger entities, mainly because these stories are going to be able to be seen by more people. I do hope that the story do uh, remain true to the storyteller and that the person gets to keep their integrity. Um, but I feel like there's just so far that you can go sometimes on your own. And yeah. if if this is going to allow for more people to be able to see themselves um, in a story, then I am here for it. Um, like I said, as long as, you know, there is authenticity and the person who's created the stories is getting honored, is being able to tell the story they, the way they wanted to tell it. So that's how I feel. <laughs> no, that's, a, that's definitely fair. That's a fair assessment of the, of the whole thing. I know we went on a way, way off tangent. <laughs> <laughs> this is usually no, how no. it goes. Um, and we'll see. I may have to make this like a little bonus nugget for people <laughs> to get in on. Um, but reeling it back in, <laughs> <laughs> do you have a favorite Disney moment or memory? I can't say that I do. I feel like every time I go, I have like really good like Disney moments. You know, there's always, like, that one thing that sticks out to me on my trip. And, um, and now, like, the first time I got on an inverted roller coaster at the mm-hmm. big age of 28. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that, was, that was pretty, that was a pretty, like, exciting moment for me. It was actually, like, I shed a tear about it. Because, like, I texted my family because I was with my best friend. And I was like, oh, my God, you guys, like, I got on my first, like, inverted roller coaster. And my cousin texted me. She was like, I'm so proud of you. And I was like, oh, my God. Like crying about it because I was like, someone's proud of me. <laughs> but mm-hmm. um, yeah, so like that was like a really like feel good moment. I think that was the last time that I like really had a feel good moment at a, at a Disney park. I'm here for you with that because um, every time I get on there, I feel like I have a concussion. So <laughs> I've aged out of that as well. Oh, out of <laughs> rock and roller coaster? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Um, so what is one thing about yourself that you would like everyone to know? Um, oh gosh, I don't know. Disney related or not Disney related? No, just in general. And I like, you know, a chance to talk about my Disney palette. I was gonna, like, I was like, no, I'm gonna talk about my makeup palette. And I'm like, how do you show your fandom? And I'm like, oh. I have every single Disney makeup palette. Yes. Like, just for Infinity War. And I'm like, do you have the official Affinity Stone? Like, Makeup palette? I don't think you do. That's what I was going to talk about. Uh-oh. But um, let's see. A thing that I want everyone to know. I don't know. I don't like people in my business like that. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It's something fun or interesting about me. Here's the thing. Here's a random fact about me. If ever given the choice, well, yeah. If ever given the choice, I will always choose pie over cake. Okay. Percent of the time. <laughs> and what what makes you sway towards the pie? Like I don't know. <laughs> I just think pie is so like fun. Like I don't know. It's so there's so many different varieties of pie. I know what you're gonna say. There's so many different varieties of cake, right? But no one really <laughs> has <laughs> like no one really ever you know like how many times a year do you have cake? You know how many birthday parties do you go to? And, you know all this other stuff. And it's like here, have a piece of cake. Here's a piece of cake. Oh what? It's like, no, like, give me pie. I want, I want a key lime pie or I want like apple pie or, you know, something like, I don't know. I'll always pick pie over cake. Do always. you have a favorite type of pie? I do have a favorite type of pie. It's sour cream apple pie from Martha's Bakery. 
They're located in Queens or Brooklyn. Um, they have two locations. I think they have three locations. But their sour cream apple pie is so good, with or without ice cream. Interesting. I've never heard of that. So good. It's not like there's. It's not like sour cream as you think of it. It's like sour cream instead of butter. Mm. Um, like a portion of sour cream and like instead of um, parts of butter. Um, mm. So it makes it just like really rich and really dense and really tasty. Interesting. Very interesting. Maybe this Thanksgiving, I'll give it a shot. It's great. <laughs> oh my god, it's so good. So this has been a riveting conversation. <laughs> I'm. So- so happy I had you on like Thanks. you I'm really so made me think like have a good conversation yes I was like are you just gonna be on the phone all night like let me get ready to like sit down and be like cake it for a little bit and be like hi how are you I know. No, I'm, good. I'm not doing anything right now <laughs> no this has been and I'm really I'm really excited to kind of um release this and hear what people think but I want to I want well, I mean, it's hard for people to actually see this film, but I want to, I would be really interested to hear people's thoughts that have seen this film because you're the first person for, that I've ever discussed this film with. And you're the opinion I've heard besides Whoopi's of a person of color who's seen this movie. So um, I think it's, I think it's very uh, important for people to form their own opinions um and i'm happy to have been able to dissect this movie with you <laughs> i know like it was a pretty good like i think it was a pretty good dissection without getting too much away because people be like you ruined it and it's like no i didn't yeah i think it's definitely everyone has to have their own opinion of it um i definitely don't think that it should be seen without a discussion afterwards like you definitely need to unpack it um but should you not see it i cannot i cannot say that I cannot um, I know. be the judge. Even like I did watch it and I liked it. And I was like, you know, given what I know about this movie, I'm like, am I problematic? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Because I kind of liked it. Like what's going on here? What's the, what's the truth? Like it gets a two for me. Um, but I can't tell other people not to watch it. That's how I feel. But <laughs> thank you so much for thanks for having me and talking to me um i can't wait till we finally meet in person i think i need to organize like a new york disney fan meetup so yeah when that happens i know because i definitely saw the pins that the that the d23 people got and i was a little bit salty oh like i should have definitely been a d23 so i could put this on my pin my pin lanyard and be like no no you can't have this you don't know what this is about yeah it's that exclusive so yeah (laughs) i'm like debating whether i should continue to release those i think i'm just gonna release those every time i meet someone in person and then i may have like another set of pins that if people want like to you know afros and pixie dust that they can get um, so definitely you got to meet up in person so you can get your pants. Yes, for sure. I know. And we're not even, we're probably not even that far from one another. So. I know, right? But it's that's like, how it always is. We probably see each other on the train, like, all the time. It's like, oh my God, Exactly. So. <laughs> that's New York life, though. Like, you can be, like, two blocks from someone and not see them, like, forever. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the, the way it's life. Um, but if people want to get to know more about you, um, where can they find you? Um, oh, hold on. I wrote something really, really cute down. Okay. <laughs> um, if you want to find me online, you can find me on Instagram at underscore, underscore, period, K-E-L-L-I, period, underscore, underscore, like bookends. 
And if you want to find my podcast online, you can check it out. It's called The Separate Cinema. And you can find it online at separatecinemapod.com. And if you bump into me in the parks, you can find me in Magic Kingdom, cross-faded off of Dole Whips and Churros, singing It's a Small World. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, I have to make that cute. I have to make that sign off cute. Because that's really how I am now. <laughs> like, so are you, parks, uh, like, are you uh, a Dole Whip float kind of girl? Um... I think it depends because sometimes I do sneak my own booze into the park and <laughs> no judgment. <laughs> I will definitely sneak my own booze into the park and um, I'll definitely get like a little rum added to it. Um, but I think it just depends on the day, like what I'm in the mood to carry with me. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. I'm going right into the enchanted tiki room and we got to make this work. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm about my business. It's a vibe. I ain't gonna lie. It is. Um, so, I, so I'm a pineapple upside down dough whip kind of person. I know it's mad. Okay. But nice. I like the sweets. I like a sweet. Have you had the pineapple um, bread pudding at uh, Ohana? I have not. I have heard about <laughs> it. And I have not. Like I basically, so I went vegan like almost a year ago, but I'm, I hang my, my vegan hat up when I'm in the land or at world because I can't, I can't deny <laughs> everything that they have to offer. So I've just, True that. yeah, <laughs> so I will try it. Um, I hopefully I'll be going down to Walt Disney world in November. So. Oh, that's when I'll be there. Oh yeah. November. Yeah. Like right after they flip the park for. Oh, for uh, Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm going to try to get down for Dapper day. Oh, nice. We'll see. I think well, that's if like you need second. any fancy ears tomorrow, I'm here for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I may have to take you up on that. We'll see. I don't even know what I'm wearing. Well, I do know what I'm wearing, but I haven't created it yet. So we'll see yeah. how it all comes together. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're so good at that. So that's fine. <laughs> but this has been amazing. Thank you. This thank has been you, a great thank conversation. You. Thank you for having me. It's been awesome. I will be sure to put all your information in the show notes. So everyone can check you out and hear what you have to say about these classic movies. Um, and until we see each other in the parks or in these New York streets. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. <laughs> you just heard my conversation with Kelly. After the recording, I spent more time digging into the history of Song of the South and the story of the Tar Baby, and I learned some interesting things. I've added a link to an NPR article that touches on the meaning behind the Tar Baby story and the Wikipedia page for Song of the South that gives some insight into the film. Of note, the Black people in the film were actually not slaves although that fact was not very clear while watching it. My final opinion is that I am torn. As triggering as this movie was, the more I dug into the origin of the stories from this movie and learned that they were retold Black American folktales, it made me feel that these stories do have a place in American history and should be shared and it's unfortunate that they are wrapped in such an unbecoming context. I respect Disney's decision to limit the release of this film 
And I do think that a disclaimer and or robust discussion should be included with the consumption of this film. This is definitely a debate that goes way beyond me and this episode. And I hope to continue this discussion in the future. We are repping heavy for the Bronx in this episode as the POC owned small business for this episode is The Lit Bar. It is an independent bookstore and wine bar located at 131 Alexander Avenue in the Bronx, New York. It is owned by Noel Santos and she personally curated all of the literature and merchandise she sells. You can get more info about her store and her story at www.thelipbar.com. And as always, if you've enjoyed what you've heard, please be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share this podcast with all of your friends. And also be sure to join the Afros and Pixie Dust Facebook group so we can chat more about this movie. So until next time, never stop deep conditioning or pursuing your happiness. Thank you.